0: Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 38. 38 episodes, man. This has been fantastic. I appreciate all the support we've got out throughout the years in regards to the comments on the podcast, and so here we are at 38. And so, like I said, again, I really thank you for your support and listening to our podcast, and we've got a great guest on this podcast here, Ben Rush. Um, Ben has been a longtime friend of iAnimate, he's been one of our instructors actually when we first opened up uh, our virtual doors, actually about five years ago, awesome, five years ago, Um, and so he he was one of our first instructors, he's been very busy, he's got a really cool project that um, he's been working on for some time, and ties in with iAnimate here, so I'm looking forward to speaking with him about that. 20 years in the industry, started way back with um, Final Fantasy, Spirits Within, Animatrix, uh, so really some cool projects and has a, a long history in animation, and so we're looking forward to talking with him in this podcast. So thank you for tuning in, and let's pull in Ben Rush. Hello, hello. Good to see you. You too, man. How you been? Oh, great. I just um,
1: left this uh, restoration school in, in Prague. You know, they have all these famous monuments and everything and buildings and artwork and Everywhere you look, so they have all these universities here that are just all about restoration of artwork and everything. So we got a little tour of one of these. In fact, look at this. Um, <clears throat> this is my room where I'm teaching at Little little Mischel. And out the window is the castle. <laughs> Literally, like, right across the way. That That's is, awesome. uh, Yeah, there's, I mean, architecture here from the 14th century, and uh, it's, it is incredible. Everywhere you look, there's just something incredible to see.
0: That's cool. My background, actually, when I started in 3D, 3D architectural renders, so I love architecture, man. I think it's beautiful.
1: It's
0: incredible. Very cool. So you've had a good time there? Yeah, it's been a blast. It's wrapping up now, and then
1: um, I'm going to go to Prague, back to Prague, which is two hours west, Saturday. And then I meet my mom, and then we are going to fly to Venice, Italy, and take a speedboat down the Grand Canal, (laughs) then come back to Prague, and then back to LAX,
0: and then back up to San Francisco to Pixar. So it's like, it's insane. All right. Well, you've mentioned you've had a, a huge, busy schedule here over there in Prague, and so I definitely appreciate you taking some time out with us for the podcast, Ben.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Larry.
0: You bet, man. Um, first of all, I always like jumping into somebody's background. I like uh, getting kind of a, a little bit of the person behind the pixel, so to speak, and um, knowing you back from when you were teaching here at Animate and looking refreshing myself with your bio, you've got a really amazing bio in animation here, going all the way back to the Animatrix and uh, the first you know, Final Fantasy Spirits Within movie. So I'd love to just kind of go back how you got into animation, what, were your, what was your training and kind of how you first got into the industry?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, <clears throat> like so many people that I've met, I, I think you know, I started really young, like when I was maybe eight or nine years old um, and my dad gave me a Super 8 camera and i got some clay and i just started messing around and made a whole lot of really terrible blurry (laughs) poorly lit movies Uh, um, and the sort of the hook was seated then i think and then from that point on i just really knew that i wanted to get into movies and animation and all of that path i think you know i really couldn't do anything else i tried at a lot of other jobs and pretty much got fired from all of them you know so it's easy to stay on this path Um, and you know i loved it needless to say so you know after i went to school um fine art and film and a little bit of physics um i went to disney uh for a week and i spent some time with those guys they were working on pocahontas at the time and i showed them my drawings and uh, found out that i was drawing in the wrong way and um uh it was a real revelation for me like I, I really woke up to what good drawing is you know um and they gave me a lot of great tips you know I met a lot of amazing animators there and then I left there and started going back to the zoos to draw more and draw in the way that they uh were trying to help me um and from there I kind of fell into uh a uh, game studio called strategic simulations right before that actually I I did work for PDI for a few months on a carefree gum commercial doing uh, storyboards and conceptual design and then I went to this game company uh, which uh, was mostly like a pixel pusher kind of 2d 8-bit artwork (laughs) and then uh, they sent me down to Marina del Rey from the Bay Area to learn 3d in alias wavefront so wow just scratching the surface. There uh, came back and then got a little bit better at it at the game company, but was still quite a newbie. And then went to a place called Metropolis Digital in San Jose, where I worked with Dan Casey, who is now the head of the CG department, I think, at Leica, and um, Steve Prie, who is now at Digital Domain, and a few other guys. And we worked on a, a movie or two there and some TV shows, and and then. Uh, We all heard about this project in Hawaii at Square (laughs) and everybody left and the company pretty much closed its doors and we all went over there (laughs) and had this amazing experience in Hawaii, you know, uh, lived on the beach for, you know, four years there and had my daughter and um, uh, it was a beautiful experience for, for my family. And
0: now, what island was it on?
1: It was on Oahu, okay. and we lived on the North Shore near Sunset Pipeline in Kaaba, and the water was bathtub temperature, and about a mile out, it was five feet deep, so you could walk a mile out into the ocean. It was just incredible. And How did anybody get any work done? <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent question. Every time I left work, I came home and I just took my shoes off and put on my flip-flops and oh, walked out. It. I just sat in, on the beach, you know it was, it was surreal. And the project itself was really cool too, because at the time it was sort of the holy grail of computer graphics, you know, trying to do realistic people. Yep. and and the crew was half Japanese and half euro American, you know working in Pearl Harbor. So it was a fantastic experience, you know, getting to work with these all these Japanese guys and um, and a bunch of other you know talented artists from all over the world. A huge learning experience. And and then uh, we went on to make the Animatrix short after that, uh, which was quite a blast, too, although we knew the studio was closing by that point. So after that was over, uh, then DreamWorks came out, and I spoke with them, went to uh, talk to a few other companies, too. And I recall at that point I went to go see both the Matrix movies, um, one of the Matrix movies in the theaters, and I was trying to decide between that at ESC in, on Alameda and going into feature animation at DreamWorks. And I, then I saw Ice Age and heard all those little kids laughing in the theater. And, and I had little kids myself and a few of them coming. And, and so that became the most exciting thing for me, um, that idea. So I, I went to DreamWorks and stayed there for 13 years. And had a blast and learned so much from everybody there. I just feel that DreamWorks is a really special place on planet Earth. <laughs> and uh, and then from there, um, you know, I worked briefly for Google on the Spotlight stories and a little bit uh, for Digital Domain on the upcoming movie Beauty and the Beast. And then uh, now I'm at Pixar, and I've only been there about a month so far. But that experience
0: has been Wonderful as cool. well. I'm looking forward to talking about that. Let me um, jump back now to the Animatrix. Um, now, I know that you did some work in regards to character TD on, in Shark Tale. Did you do some of that as well in the Animatrix, or was it strictly animation? It, I
1: did no animation on the Animatrix. I just uh, rigged the bodies for the characters. So I kind of oh, we I got a hold of this paper written by... A few really smart guys um, about this uh, pose space deformation system Mm -hmm. where you could model on orthographic uh, really specific shapes that were driven by the ways that the joints were rotating Mm -hmm. so it would sort of dial them in and dial them out and and so we grabbed that and we wrote our own proprietary version of that and implemented it for all those characters so that was a purely technical experience I did one animated shot of uh some toes I think was the only thing that I animated (laughs) and then uh and then yeah when I went to DreamWorks I went there as a rigger so I rigged uh Luca the octopus and did some the procedural dynamics for the jellyfish dreads and shark tail and then after hours, you know, would do these animation tests and kind of spend a lot of time shopping them around to different supervisors, basically begging them to let me into the animation department. <laughs> and finally, they did.
0: Were you able to get feedback from some of the other animators there while you were trying to make this transition? Or how were you? It Was it just sheer practice and, and your own eyes?
1: It was... It was uh, Mostly the help of the animators there, uh, Fabio Lagini. There was also Fabrice Jobert and Lionel Galat and Penkin and several great animators there who were so open and willing with their time to just help me get better. You know, so uh, that part of it was amazing uh, when I first got there. How they shared their knowledge. You know, they could have easily hoarded it and kept it from everyone. But that was not the culture that was a part of DreamWorks. They were all about making everyone better. So, you know, I was so fortunate to have those guys to lean on and have them teach me the craft. And uh, like, you know, most animators I know, I was so passionate about it and loved doing it so much. It just became this kind of addiction where I you know I couldn't stop doing it and I just wanted to get it better and better and better and um, so yeah I kept showing it until they
0: finally let me uh, cross <laughs> over. <laughs> so what was your first big animated uh, movie there it was Sharkdale because um, yeah I I rigged Luca
1: um, and I think it was a, f- a fairly simple rig um, but I, I recall doing a demo of Luca and I was showing the animators and I said, you know, something along the lines of, if, if you want to move his tentacles, you just grab this spline IK. And there was kind of this blank stare from everyone (laughs) about what spline IK was. And I, and I had this moment where I realized that, that, that all these people were traditional animators and they had not had any or many of them who were going to be animating on Shark Tale were, had purely done 3 or 2D before. Uh-huh. It turned out that that rig was a little too complicated for some people to use. So I ended up animating that character. I basically
0: rigged my way into the animation <laughs> yeah. department. And so I ended up doing most of the shots. Nice little job security. Yes, exactly. Just make a <laughs>
1: terrible rig... Then it has to be animated, and only use about it, guys. animate. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> That's the way to do it <laughs> be a horrifying rigor, and then uh, yeah, you'll get the job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was a great experience, you know, because I kind of got to. I, I feel like I, you know, I had a, a, a voice with that character and everything, and I really had a lot of fun with him. And then yeah, I just kind of didn't look back. You know, I felt like there was this ocean of knowledge to be acquired in animation. There's so much to it, the acting and the design and all of these things that go into a beautiful piece of animation. And that was just endlessly fascinating to me. So I sort of uh, tried to secure my position in animation. animation. because Yeah, it's a slippery slope when you are a rigger slash animator because there are very few riggers out there. And so they want you to go back and rig often so I found ways to
0: keep myself you know got my hooks into the animation department and I wouldn't let go basically (laughs) well the cool part that I look at it from that vantage point is that you now know the the, the language for rigging and you can actually talk with other riggers as an animator Uh, you know what you need to look for and how to give notes back I'm assuming
1: yeah that part of it has been helpful kind of being the liaison at times, you know, between the two departments, Um, you know, sometimes those two departments have trouble communicating like many do. So uh, yeah, that was a a nice uh, advantage. I think I had um, communicating with them, but uh, yeah, there was, um, I, I sort of tried to if in any way, I could abstain from that as much as possible. Just immerse myself in animation. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, it was good to go back and keep up with what the riggers are doing. But at this stage of my career, I've gone back and uh, you know worked closely with riggers in a few different situations, and I've realized that I'm they're just way beyond me now.
0: <laughs>
1: I have no understanding of what they're doing anymore. <laughs>
0: Well, you're an awesome animator, so that doesn't matter now, huh? <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um,
0: now, you mentioned that obviously most of your time in your career was at DreamWorks. Is there any uh, memorable stories or uh, things that you took away from your time there?
1: Oh, there's so many. Uh, so many amazing experiences that I had there, Um very memorable ones I think one of the things that I took away from it most was that the talent pool at DreamWorks is so deep the artists there are the best from all over the world and there's you know that kind of environment could easily be filled with egos but that is not the way that DreamWorks was built DreamWorks was built based on humility and sharing information and sort of everyone embracing everyone else and making everyone else better. Um, it's this this culture there that most impressed me, I think, and I was so grateful for it, because really, if that wasn't the case, I don't think I would be the animator that I was today. Mm. You're always inspired, um, you know, always challenged, and Even now in my career, I'm looking at all these young kids coming into the industry who are doing amazing things, you know, and it keeps you on your toes. It's really like you never stop learning about it. You know, your shot is a new challenge.
0: What do you believe was there that helped foster the humility for that culture? Maybe it's the way, uh, you know, I've have wondered
1: about that many times. I, I, I suppose part of it is the way that the, the company was built. You know, these companies, these big, great studios are very aware of their culture and they do a great deal to protect it. But moreover, I think the reason why there is that humility is because it's intrinsically part of the craft of animation. Because when you animate, you're kind of pouring your heart and soul into this piece of art yep. and then you show it and it's it critiqued endlessly and you need to you know satisfy all these requirements and make many people happy um so as the old cliche is true that you really have to check your ego you know mm-hmm. if you're going to be an animator because you you get beat up a lot <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you also get to uh, enjoy all these platitudes and, and, and People saying wonderful things about the work that is done at the studio. So there's lots of benefits to it, needless to say. But but it's also you know it's a really hard line of work too for many people. <laughs> you have to have a thick skin. So I think that breeds humility. Gotcha. You know?
0: Yeah, that's why I was asking that because it is. You, you, as you mentioned, you're you're pouring. This isn't just a, a widget that you're creating here. You're pouring emotion and and you into this character so it is where you have to put that ego aside and that's not always easy and so for that being one of the key things for you from dreamworks that's a that's a cool patch for dreamworks i think for sure
1: yeah really a special place you know i i love it dearly like i i wouldn't be where i am without dreamworks I'm
0: very grateful for the time there keeping in the dreamworks time period here what were some of your favorite movies that you worked on and some of your favorite characters that you worked on
1: Luca is
0: one that I I had a lot of fun on. I think
1: I you know if, when I go back and look at that stuff, I don't feel like it really holds up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, but it's a character that I really cared about, you know, and it was a sort of a special time for me um, crossing over there. So there's just sort of some really nice memories associated with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, from Kung Fu Panda. I think was where I really started understanding the craft of animation on a, a in a different way and that character was so easy to identify with not I think just for me but with a lot of people that kind of fanboy quality <laughs> to <bow>. go. <laughs> and and I was one you know I think we can all sort of identify with that uh-huh. and, Form or another, and he's just such a fun, appealing—you know—right out of the box. When you open that character, he looks great. And some of the scenes that I feel most proud about, I think, were in that first movie and and the second one too. You know, there were a number of other ones that I I was happy with too, like uh, um, Hammy in uh, or um, RJ from Over the Hedge. I I was pretty. With the way that, that movie came out and some of the stuff in Mega Mind, and um, even some of the more recent stuff that I was playing with in Home, I think I, I learned so much on that movie from a whole bunch of animators that I hadn't really been exposed to. Uh, like Mark Donald is kind of one of my new favorite animators. Um, Anything and, in
0: particular that you learned from it?
1: Uh, Polish, I think, was one of the things that I took away from what Mark does. His polish is flawless, and as is his posing and his acting. It was kind of stunning to me when I first saw what he was doing, and I really tried since then, since working on Home, to learn how he might have done some of those things, and it created some breakthroughs for me. You know, um, But there have been several along the way animators that did that for me where you know I just sort of studied their work and found these little tricks that really opened doors you know
0: one of the things I love about hearing that Ben is that here you've been working in the industry because home is a more recent movie and you've been working in the industry for about 18 years by that by this time 20 yeah, or 20 yeah you know and here at this point you're still going hey this was a, a a cool learning curve right here. And I think it's just a testament to this craft. And that, as you mentioned earlier, that we're constantly imp- trying to improve. And the only reason I bring this up, is because we have a lot of, uh, even students who listen to these podcasts. And I think it's just a great encouragement to go, Hey, look, you'll get there. Here's a guy who's been in the industry for 20 years and still picking up on certain things. Uh, so don't get frustrated. Just keep plugging away, huh? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm teaching here and, uh, the Czech Republic and these students I think you know it it's it's not something that you just say it's the reality that to learn animation and to do it well takes like a lifetime yeah. <laughs> you never stop learning you never stop growing as an animator I'm still trying to figure out New, and new ways of doing it. I still haven't established a single workflow that works for every scene. You know, every shot is its own challenge, and <laughs> that's part of the beauty of it, isn't it? You know, yep, yep. that's part of the fun.
0: If it, the fun if and it frustration. Became,
1: yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it can be at times, absolutely. But um, yeah, I think you do reach a stage where the tools are no longer an obstacle, you know, uh, where you kind of understand these tricks and you can get past it. And that's a pretty liberating experience. But uh, as I said before, there's just so much to learn about it. Um, so many different approaches and so many different ways of thinking. Uh, I just don't know that you could own them all in a single lifetime. Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> there's a, there's an old story I've heard recently of a old violinist who, tremendous. And I was approached by a student and said, I would give my life to be able to play like you. He turns to the student and says, I have given my life to play like me. And, and so often we can simply, simply look at this and go, well, I just wish I could do that. You go, well, it's going to take a lifetime. You know, it's going to take time to, uh, to plug away and to practice and to get to where you get to the, that level of that person that you're admiring, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't happen in one shot or two shots or three. I remember saying that myself, you know, oh, I think I I got it now. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like four or five shots in. And then I think it was Ken Duncan who told me, he said, uh, patience, grasshopper. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I've heard that phrase, you know, the one that I used. Used so many times by so many students. I think I got it now, you know, and, and it
0: takes a while. That's just, yeah. the, that's the one cliff they Look, they just are getting up on over. They haven't seen the other one that they're going to have to now climb on, huh? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> over it. But like I said, that's a good thing though, because it, it can be discouraging if you realize that that's not part of the process. So I appreciate you sharing that with us on that. Um, okay, so from DreamWorks, now what stuff were you working on at, at Google?
1: Uh, I was working on um, the next in line for of the Spotlight stories, which uh, the first one I believe was Windy Day, and then came Buggy Night, um, and then there was uh, Glenn Keane's Duet, um, and Glenn came to DreamWorks and did a little talk with some of the Google people, which absolutely blew my mind, you know, not just having Glenn Keane there and him talking about all of his experiences, but also looking at this new technology and new ways of telling stories. You know, I feel like just in the past few years, there's been an explosion of this kind of thing with virtual reality and TV and this Google spotlight stories thing was so exciting because it makes the user, the person who's watching it, the cinematographer essentially. And so when I left DreamWorks, it was a, a golden opportunity that just sort of popped up right at the time of the layoffs. And when I went there, I had no idea what to expect, but it was this tiny crew, uh, Lou Romano from Pixar, Mark Oftedal was the uh, animation director on it, and he was also from Pixar, directed by Shannon Tyndall, A whole bunch of real superstars, uh, just a, in this tiny little office. There was about 10 of us, I think, when we got there, a lot of dream workers. And the software was being developed at the exact same time we were working on it. And there were all these facets to the animation that, again, I had never done before. It was totally foreign to me. Like uh, the shot that I did was about a 1,000 frames long. It involved (laughs) three characters. It, the every character had to be animated, whether it was inside or outside the frame. You know, uh, the the technology also uh, it's aware of where the user is looking. So there are these targets placed uh, in the scene, and and if the user is not looking at one of those targets, and you have animation happening at that target, then you need to build these idols into your animation. So it's like breaths, or just keeping the character alive until the user comes back. And then when that target is triggered, then your animation kicks back in again. So you sort of had to bake these invisible cycles into your animation. Um, it was also a musical, so it was on 18s. Uh, every 18 frames, there w- was like some kind of event that would usually happen, or you know, the character would land on a beat. But we didn't have any music for it because the music was being written while we were working on it. Oh wow! So we did a click track. Uh, so it was just clicks every 18 frames, and we would sync <laughs> up to that. That's awesome. So it was it was crazy and uh, and so fun to work for Google A Tap. You know, um, read a lot about them in the past. Kind of this group of you know computer pirates, basically. Um, <laughs> There's this mystique associated with it, and and it's a really great, fun project, you know, just a brilliant concept by Shannon Tindall, and um, it's just a joy to work on. Again, I learned so much on that project, both technically and artistically.
0: Now, how was it the transition for you, going from something like DreamWorks for so many years, uh, such a large studio, working with a lot of the same guys uh, probably for many years, to now a much smaller team, as you mentioned, 10 people, um, people you may have been familiar with in maybe name only, or what was some of the transition for you there? It was,
1: um, it was an interesting transition, um, mostly, I think, because of the nature of the work. You know, I didn't have those usual go-to guys that I would... Talk to you know or, or close friends where we could sort of discuss things. I think we were all in this situation where, uh, not all of us, some of them had worked on you know, Mark. Oftadal all had worked on both Buggy Nights and um, and Windy Day, so he was quite familiar with the medium, but. A lot of us were it was just completely foreign to everyone and and the nature of the work was so much different too. Like at DreamWorks, I think we were using reference quite a bit, you know, um, in our animation and doing more grounded sort of realistic stuff and very subtle. And the way that the style of this animation was much more Tex Avery or Pocoyo or you know, they were long held poses, um, hitting the poses really hard, very cartoony and impossible to use reference. So it was kind of going back to your animation roots and animating something the right way <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> without leaning on any reference or anything like that. So it was
0: really exciting in that respect. Any tips that you got for our listeners in regards to how you approach that without reference?
1: Well, yeah, it was it was built very simply from the ground up. So it was essentially layered, like we established paths for where our characters would travel first. So they were just stick figures not moving and we figured out the staging. Um, and the the film is one continuous shot that is about two minutes long. So you had to hook up your scene um, seamlessly to the, the shot that was being done before yours and after yours. So it's one continuous movement, basically. Um, So that stuff was very simply figured out first. And then we started layering in simple stepped blocking with a few poses, refine those poses before we ever got into breakdowns. So there were several weeks of just very, very simple staging, getting the poses right, getting... Uh, those things working before we ever really went in and started
0: animating anything. And that was to kind of get you an an initial feel, right? Right. Yeah. And it it was, and also, you know,
1: there was some precision involved in that too. Like the characters had to be in certain places at certain times. So getting all of those things to work was a necessary first step to it. But, you know, that was like one of the things that I learned from that, that I'm using now all the time is this, the uh, idea of boiling everything down to its simplest possible terms first like i just gave a demo in class today about animating a monkey running up to an edge and he stops and he almost falls over the edge and the way we did it was we just simply took the root of the character animated the the translate z on it you know and slowed him to a stop and then we figured out his his rotations one axis at a time just the root first and then we sort of propagated that stuff out to the rest of the body um, and you know, did it piece by piece, almost like you're building a, a Lego set or something like that, you know? And at Pixar, I was pleased to find that we were animating the fish and finding Dory in a very similar way. You know, it's very simple the way that you start those fish. It's almost like a Muppet where you just translate, rotate the root around, and then you sort of layer on this more complex fin animation um you know so I also use that technique sort of root out layering on uh Beauty and the Beast the test that I was doing for Mm. Beast um so yeah it's something a new thing that I kind of learned in the past five years or so that I've just sort of embraced and having some fun with it
0: that's cool yeah because I think a tendency can be to just to want to jump in and Go full board and I I think when you look at an approach like this It just kind of helps slow down the process build your foundation and then you can start layering on top of that and makes it much easier, huh?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's just it gets so complicated so quickly You know, it's nice to be able to completely wrap your head around each and every step
0: and control it in a very specific way So Mm -hmm. yeah, that part of It's very Mm -hmm. helpful. Now your transition here to Pixar. Yeah. Now, how have you felt the culture has been different there at Pixar versus maybe DreamWorks?
1: Uh, there's so many interesting differences between the studios. The culture of kindness at Pixar is it blew me away. Like they really make you feel cared for and appreciated there in a, a, a way that is. You know, like they really allow space for it. From what I understand, even when Pixar was sold to Disney, Steve Jobs did a magnificent job of preserving that and carving out this space for Pixar to remain what it was because that sort of culture of kindness and humility that was also at DreamWorks, you know, it's a huge part of Pixar, is deep in their roots, you know, and it's apparent from day one. Um, I had a few animators come up to me who were from DreamWorks as well and they all kind of said the same thing that they got there on their first day and they kept saying to themselves you know what is the catch this can't be real this can't be what I think it is and it actually turns out that it is that you know that people really are that nice that the systems and the way that they do things really do support you in so many ways. They really trust their animators there. And, uh, you know, something really fun that I heard, um, another story I'm gonna share that that might give you an indication of what the culture is like at Pixar, is when I, (laughs) the first week I got there, I got my card, right? So I can get in the studio. A week later I lose that card. I don't, I think I left it at my in-laws house in Sunnyvale. I, I, um, I go back to the security office to get a new card, you know, uh, schlepping in there, feeling like an idiot. And the <laughs> security guard makes me feel, you know, right at home and says, no problem. You know, I'm happy to make you another card. And we start talking about what his experience has been like at Pixar. And he said that on Good Dinosaur, they went around to all the craft service people, all the security people, all the facilities people. Of course, all the people who are working in production. Everyone basically was offered a chance to have a say, in dinosaur, or put their notes in, whether they are have an artistic background or not. Which I thought was such a. There's the clock and the or the uh, <laughs> bell in the castle across the way from where I'm staying here. Um, They allowed everyone to have a voice on that movie, you know, and I could see in the guy's eyes when I was talking to him that he just appreciated that so much to have that that opportunity to have a voice. So, you know, everyone's opinion has value and they just really get that everyone's opinion has value and that they, you know, um, they care about the people there. And so, you know, DreamWorks is no different in that way. It's just a slightly different
0: flavor of it, I right. think, you know. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about Lucy. We're going to transition a little bit to that. I definitely want to talk about this project here. You've been working on this for a bit here, um, even during your time here at iAnimate. Now, from what i remember, it's no longer called Lucy? That's correct. Okay. Yes, what is Luke it? Besson stole my title. It's now... <laughs>
1: <laughs> the current title is uh, Only a Dream. Only a Dream. Which is a, a, a line that is frequently used in the movie and sort of reflects the, the nature of the movie. So that's what we've landed on, at least currently.
0: Very cool. Now, we've got two rigs here at iAnimate that have been catapulted from this project you've been working on. We have Scarecrow and obviously Lucy. So can you just give us a rundown of what this project is how you came about it and just been the, the process so far and what you're also looking to do with it.
1: Well, the origin story of only a dream is closely tied to I animate and really it all boils down to Jason Ryan. Um, yeah, I'd been working on this project pretty, pretty much by myself for about 15 years before I met Jason Ryan. Um, and he was forming iAnimate and asked me if I wanted to be a teacher there. And I showed him the project. And he was, you know, uh, cooking up all these characters that was gonna that were going to be added to his library for the school. And he had this amazing, you know, rigger, modeler, Victor Vignal's doing this stuff. He said, well, why don't you do some of your designs and we'll rig up your characters, you know, and then an ex- will be able to use your characters, the students will be able to use Scarecrow and Lucy, and we'll sort of collaborate. So I took uh, Pierre Parafel, who's just a spectacular talent, a, a dream work. You know, he's my office mate for a long time, a good friend, and mm. i learned a lot from And he's also just a tremendous traditional animator and character designer, and he did the designs for Lucy. And so I gave uh, Jason those Uh, pierre's designs and um, and they went off and uh, rigged and modeled and surfaced those characters so now we had the characters to to make the film or at least a short version of it and so really you know jason ryan gave this project wings he was the one who who made it happen so i have him to thank (laughs) also i animate too in general because as we were saying before, most all of the animators who worked on it were students of iAnimate, you know, and many of those guys have gone on to be uh, animators in the feature world yep, and yep. done amazing things.
0: Uh, <laughs> Any particular that's um, that were key animators on this project?
1: Well, uh, I guess the most notable right now, aside from Jason Ryan, you know, and uh, there were a number of... Uh, DreamWorks guys that worked on it too. Ben Willis was another one Mm -hmm. Um, and and then uh, Ravi um, Campbell Govind is a student of mine and he worked on two projects of mine and did brilliant work on Lucy and then he went on to be the lead uh, for Dave the Octopus in Madagascar and which some people have said, and I would be inclined to agree, that that might be some of the greatest character animation that's ever come out of the studio. That's amazing. You know, um, that character is absolutely stunning, and everything that I've ever seen Robbie do is like gold. You know, So i be <laughs> more proud of him as a student, although I don't think he needed me at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's maybe my, my proudest student I've ever had. Uh, I think he's working on Kung Fu Panda at the moment, although I, am not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, he's over there with Olivier, uh, syphilis and, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name the right way, but, um, the two of them left, uh, the DDU in India and went over there for DreamWorks, So he's there, now,
0: but that's great. And I know Andrew Ford, very talented animator. He's over at real effects We have Roscoe, who's over at Disney. I know they worked on that project with you as well. Right. Yes. There's a number of them, several. Yeah. And now, um, can you tell us a little bit about the story without giving too much away? Yeah. um,
1: Basically, you know, I've had so many conversations with so many different animators about the medium. In fact, Brad Bird was famously quoted saying that animation is a, a medium and not a genre. You know, and I feel like... Um, sort of because of the nature of 3D animation, there's so much more visual information coming to audiences now that there's uh, you can do things in 3D that you couldn't do in 2D uh, like really sophisticated very refined movements, tiny eye darts mean a lot to an audience nowadays and I think as a result audiences have become more sophisticated in their understanding of the stories and right now we have you know these amazing comedies being made by all the, all the big studios and I don't want to compete with that I don't think it's a realistic thing to try to so some of those conversations that I've had with many different animators is that why don't we push the medium and do something new prove that it is a medium and not a genre it doesn't have to be it can be something else and so I kind of took this idea of the, a fusion of the um, dark superhero genre, you know, kind of Batman or Matrix or something like that, and, mm-hmm. and marrying that to the family-friendly animated comedy. So we're making something for kids, but maybe a slightly older audience, you know, maybe not the youngest audience, something along the lines of a Harry Potter or a, a Hunger Games, only with no blood, not much violence, mm-hmm. um, Uh, possibly a PG-13 animated film. And, you know, basically it's a superhero film about a a ragtag bunch of misfit kids who band together in a a world of nightmares uh, to sort of conquer their fears. It's really a film about fears and kids conquering their fears and finding confidence and uh, love and friendship among each other um and uh growing up in a way yeah it's a real work of passion Uh, it's been for me uh, i think also for everyone who's worked on it because we've done everything entirely for free (laughs) no you know except for the contribution made by ianimate to give us the characters everything has been done just based on people's blood sweat and tears and believing in the project uh, so it's been a really great voyage sort of creating L7 pictures. And we've had this, you know, virtual studio where we meet and have people from all over the world contributing and, and doing amazing work. And the experience has been incredible.
0: <laughs> what an amazing opportunity there too, that, it, that, I guess, the time we live in where this is possible. You can get people from around the world and have a virtual studio, um, To be able to do that. And then as you mentioned, you're going to look to do a campaign here where you can actually now get this thing funded to produce. It just amazes me sometimes. (laughs) I think we can kind of take it for granted. But um, when you look back, maybe even six, seven years ago, this wasn't possible, you know? So great. It is a bit of a brave new world, and there
1: you know just like we were talking about with all of these new technologies in terms of storytelling. There are also all these new technologies developing and companies springing up that are finding new ways to do these things. Um, and I can't announce anything yet, but there are a few of those companies we will be working with um, who are real innovators and you know Academy Award winning animators and technicians have all sort of signed on to work with us um you know if we get the funding so we have a very strong leadership group mm-hmm. that has you know hundreds of years of animation experience behind it and then we've got this vast pool of up and coming students you know who are just kind of maybe Geopolitically, kind of locked in their area, and they wouldn't otherwise have a chance to work on a film like this. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, you know, maybe it's much harder nowadays, I think, than it was when I was getting into animation to make it into a feature animation studio. And this will give them, hopefully, a shot at it. You know, for sure. Uh, so. That part of it is really exciting. So all of these relationships that I've built over the years with all these animators and different people from all over the place, uh, you know, I'm hoping that will all come to fruition if we get funded and we can pool our resources and bring all these people together to make something totally new and different that no one's ever seen before.
0: Right, right. And that's a neat, that's exactly what you're talking about here. The, the fact that we can produce something that no one's ever seen before, and this is where I really appreciate the crowdsourcing campaign because oftentimes people can kind of complain about something new, something fresh. Every, you know, I can kind of see the same things over and over. Well, now here's a chance for someone to kind of put their money where their mouth is um, and, and definitely help produce something that fulfills their desires in regards to what they're wanting to see out there. So um, I think this is going to be a really cool opportunity.
1: Uh, I hope so. I hope we – find that and uh, and can deliver something to the world that is
0: really fresh and different, you know. Well, looking at your background and then also just even your connections, I don't think that's going to be a problem whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when are you looking at launching here?
1: I think uh, well, I returned from Prague um, September 4th and the Indiegogo campaign is essentially finished and we're starting to build a social uh media marketing campaign for the crowdfunding campaign and um so i'm looking to launch somewhere in september i hope if all
0: pieces fall into place very cool okay and so the trailer for the pro uh, for the campaign's done as well
1: yeah well we're we're gonna show a little bit in the the uh the video for the campaign but keep it under wraps, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll parse out our our cool visuals um, as we go. Uh, we have lots and lots to show already, but we want to take it to another level. You know, bring in new characters, new environments, really show the potential for the feature film. Um, uh, you know, which, by the way, was really well reviewed by an independent um, screenwriting analysis uh, company. Um, they said it was one of the, the best scripts that they had read in the hundreds that they had read that wow. year, um, and we scored a ninety eight percent out of one hundred. <laughs> I'm so pleased about that, and I just am dying to to share this with people. You know, and I think all the people that are currently working on the project really want to have that experience too, and have their credit you know on this and, and get it out get our
0: baby out to the world we're going to be uh, careful with the way that we do it very cool well we're definitely looking to help out any way we can and so uh, for those that are listening to the podcast the uh, campaign may not be out by the time this is out but definitely keep up with ianimate on our blog newsletter social um, media and uh, we'll definitely be letting you know when this is out and helping promote this so I was keen to seeing some of the early stuff just being a part of I animate for so long and so the stuff I'd seen this is probably a good couple years ago one of the things I can definitely say is you have not shortened the quality of the production by any means because you know you're talking about a lot of this has been done outside of maybe the rigs by just people volunteering but the quality was never sacrificed and so um, i'm definitely looking forward to seeing it after this many years
1: yeah that's right i mean the the sort of bleeding edge animation you know has been employed on all of these shots and As we all know, the students of iAnimate are very passionate and care a great deal about the quality of their work. So I think our standards are quite high, you know, and I I think we're even aspiring to to take them to a higher place with this Indiegogo campaign. So, um,
0: yes, the bell is tolling. (laughs) Is (laughs) is the bell telling me that my time's up? (laughs) <laughs> and with that, we will, end, no, uh, we will end this, but uh, Ben, I do appreciate your time. Like I mentioned, I know you've been busy uh, traveling about like uh, James Bond here, but um, we do appreciate your time and look forward to seeing what you guys have stored up here. So um, again, appreciate your time, Ben. Thanks so
1: much for the opportunity, Larry. And thank you to everyone from iAnimate, both who have, uh, you know, supported us in different ways. And those of you who have worked on the project, it's just a privilege to be a part of this group. And Uh, to get to know all these people so Larry thanks so much for the time Uh, just a great gift for me
0: awesome you bet man will you take care and have safe travels alright we'll talk to you soon